Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Uh, this is your first time here at Hill City. Uh, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team here and grateful uh, that you're here and uh, somehow probably waterlogged uh, and from yesterday, um, but just happy that uh, you're here. We're in this uh, Revelation series and uh, you got a break last week during our birthday and I hope you enjoyed it because uh, today's a good one. Um, <laughs> This series has been uh, really good. So this is week number uh, five of this series that will be probably, my guess will be 12, 13 weeks um, just in Revelation. And uh, just as a reminder, just catching you up really quick, if you're, again, if you're just hopping into this now, uh, we've been taking a look at this, this letter, which is the, the last book in, in the Bible um, written by this guy named John. And what we're trying to do is, is understand how pivotal this book is actually for us today. Uh, so often people look at Revelation and they say, oh, it's all about the end times. Um, is it about the end times? Kind of. Okay. Um, is it all about the end, end times? Absolutely not. Um, should, is it about predicting the end times? Good. We're learning, right? We're learning. Should you buy the videos? Should you buy the books? Yes. Don't do that, right? Like, it's like it's, they're wrong. Um, they, they've been wrong for a couple of thousand years. Okay, so, so like just get on board. It's, it's cool. And, uh, and, but this is the point. We're, we're taking a look at this series because we want to like understand how pivotal what John is talking about because it's so, uh, it speaks into our context now. Um, it talks about what happened in the past. It informs our, our present, but it also informs our future when we sing about living hope like that. Like it's informing like what we're, what we're, we're thinking about and what we understand of what uh, God is doing here. And so uh, when I was uh, thinking about the revelation in, in and of itself, I, a couple people sent me this uh, little picture, and I thought this is a great way to like talk about what Revelation is. Two thousand years from now, people will not understand the difference between butt dial and booty call, and this is exactly why the Bible is hard to understand. All right, and so it's true, right? Like there. There's a lot about the Bible that's like hard to understand and, and it like takes some time and study and context and all of that. And that's what we're doing uh, in this series because here's what ends up happening. What John's doing, um, there is a narrative that's being sold to everyone in the, in the Roman Empire. There, there's a narrative that's being uh, sold to them. And what John is saying, uh, and remember a couple weeks ago I said how like John is like public enemy, right? And he's like flavor flavor, and he's like, hey, don't believe the hype. And it's, and it's that's, what's, that's what he's doing when he's writing. He's saying, listen, this narrative that's out there, don't believe the hype. Like don't, don't believe that that's what this is really all about. And so so much of Revelation is what John is writing is also a parody of what is being like, done outside of that. Even like some of the other writings at that time. And we'll dig into those, those things here and there. But uh, some of the things that are being said, like uh, for instance, like Caesar is Lord. All right, so John would say, you know, Jesus is Lord. And, and you might say, well, Zeus is a savior. And, and John would say, no, Jesus is the savior. And there are all these different things with like, like the 24 elders and the four horsemen and all these different things that are associated with things that were going on at that time. And so within all of that, you start saying, oh, John is actually not just talking about what's to come in the future. There is a little bit of that, but he's actually speaking directly to people at that time and have them understand, hey, this is how you live this thing out in your context. And this is what you're, you're battling against. And so um, that's what we've been kind of hovering around. And we've been going repeatedly back to this phrase, to stay grounded, the gospel works, Right? To stay grounded, 
the gospel works. It's like, John's like, you remember that story about Jesus? You remember, uh, they didn't have living hope back then, but remember, like now, it's like, you know when you sing living hope? Like, go back to that, because it works. When you talk about, we sing about God problems, it's like, go back to that. Like, it, it works. This other story, this other narrative, whether it's another uh, uh, religious narrative or a secular narrative or an atheistic narrative or whatever it is, it's like, the, those narratives, those, they don't work. Like, they fall flat. But keep going back to this story of Jesus. Keep going back to allow Jesus to speak into uh, your context. And so today I actually want to talk about this difference between flexibility and assimilation. Um, it's, it's an interesting, I think it's actually one of the, the tougher things to wrestle with uh, as a, a follower of Jesus. So where do I be flexible? And, and how do I stop myself from assimilating uh, into the culture? How, how many guys have tried to be flexible on something and then it just went too far? Yeah, it's like you're, you're like, you know, I'll, I'll let it go for a little bit. And it just, it just went too far. And it's, it's hard. There's a, there's a tension. And sometimes even with flexibility, what might work for you might not work for somebody else. And so there's some tension there. And like, this is like a welcome to the Bible and welcome to our faith. Like um, there's a, there was a ministry uh, called Triple X Church where they did all this um, ministry to people that were in the, the, the porn industry. And they would go to these porn conferences and they would set up a booth. They would do these and they did like wonderful work. And I, I think they're still going. Uh, and, and it's crazy, right? Um, I could not do that ministry. This, this, these gentlemen could. Okay, um, and, and so like sometimes it's like, man, what they could be flexible with, like, I, I just, I, I couldn't do it myself. So like there, there's some things that you start figuring out. So all right, and even like this idea of flexibility is like interesting because there's, there's a tension there. There's a tension there. And the main idea here this morning is simply this, that faithful followers of Jesus appreciate the tension between flexibility and assimilation. All right, between flexibility and assimilation. So we're going to head to uh, Pergamum today, which is where this next piece, the next letter um, that John is writing here to this church uh, is now modern-day Turkey. Uh, this church was uh, an interesting uh, church within this, this context. And, and again, his, John's language is going to get pretty aggressive over the next couple of weeks. And Pergamum is a city that uh, had great wealth, um, was known for a city where they would pronounce a lot of judgment on things. They were known for the sword, uh, meaning that uh, a lot of like harsh judgments would happen there. A lot of executions would happen there. Um, the Christians, uh, as we'll talk about here, they actually faced great persecution uh, in this city. They were very, very loyal, just like all the other cities were to the, to the Roman Empire. Um, they were interesting. They, they would worship the god of, of healing there um, and uh, because they would see a lot of interesting elements. Um, they had one of the greatest physicians uh, known in the Roman Empire named this guy named Galen, who actually, think about this, 2,000 years ago, he figured out how to do cataract surgery with a needle. We would go behind the eye and like actually take the, the cataract out. And um, 2,000 years ago, right? Like, so uh, they had this like, incredible um, physicians there and were known for that. The, the god of healing was uh, Aesculapius, um, who uh, had this like serpent wrapped around him. And they had all these serpents throughout the city. 
And you can, if you know uh, the Bible a little bit, uh, Genesis chapter 3 um, talks about this serpent that comes. And so it was interesting, even with visually for Christians, a lot of times they would be walking in, there were like serpents everywhere on all these different buildings and, and so playing into that. And so this was like kind of the context of where this letter is written to. And again, they faced some great persecution, and, uh, but the, also the church actually grew for a season as well. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. And it says this, To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I love this. I know where you live. <laughs> this is Jesus talking, right? It's like, I know where you live. Um, and he says this, uh, Where Satan, Satan has his what? Now here's what's interesting. I want to pause here. I'm going to actually go kind of verse by verse here today. And what Jesus is not saying is that Pergamum is Satan. What he's saying is, is like, hey, to my, my, my people, my sons and daughters in the faith, like, I know where you live. I know what it's like. I know that this is a place where, like, Pergamum is a conduit for the things of Satan. All right, it's a conduit for the things of Satan. Well, well what's a conduit for the things of Satan? Anything that's not of Jesus. And tying into Jesus. And I know, I get it. Like, on the front end, when we say things like that, it's like, isn't there a middle ground? In some ways, they, there could be like a middle ground that can lead you to Jesus and, and, and everything. But, but what the Bible repeatedly says is like, there's going after the kingdom of God and not. And, and, and I'd like to make that more palatable for us. Like, it, you know, it'd be easier to like, take it in, but it's just the reality. The Bible's like, this is either going to be the kingdom of God or it's not. And if it's not the kingdom of God, then it's the kingdom of who? Feels weird, right? Feels weird to say, but it is what the Bible keeps talking about. And it's like, so Jesus is like, I know where you all live. Like, I get it. You are in the Roman Empire. Like, I get it. You are in a, a, a place in, in underneath an empire where it's about violence. It's about extremism. It's about sexual immorality. It's about power. It's about greed. It's about imperialism. It's about exploiting people and oppressing people. It has classism and racism in it. It's about all these things, right? And, and, and that should sound vaguely familiar. And he's like, I know where you live. And I, and I know your city, and I know what's going on in your city. It'd be the equivalent, it'd be the equivalent of today, Jesus writing like, to the church at Richmond. I know where you live. I, I know what goes on in the city. I, I understand that it, there, there are parts of this city that could be a conduit for Satan and his throne. I get it, and, and I understand it. And, and, and I understand the larger context. I understand the empire you live in. In America, I, I understand it. And, and I know where you live. And, and I get it. And I, and I see it. I see it. And, and so in this part, what John is actually trying to get them to understand is like, hey, be very aware of where you live. Be very aware of its context. Be very aware of what it, it points towards. Don't get roped into some narrative that somehow, somehow that this empire is tied into the gods. Don't, don't get roped into this feeling that, man, we'll get the blessing of God if we just do these little things. And what John is actually saying is like, what you start seeing is like, when it says like this is like Satan's throne, he's saying, 
This is the conduit for the things that are actually anti the kingdom of God. And so when I was uh, writing notes this week and just kind of like sitting with this and thinking about our city and everything and thinking about some of our history and it's like, man, so many things in our history of our city have been like conduits for things that are so opposite of the kingdom of God, right? And so, and we see that and we should understand that and know that and be aware of it and learn it because that's part of what the underbelly and the foundation of our city is. When you, when you think about uh, like our country, right? Just in, in America, it's just like where we live. It's like an understanding like, man, it's been a conduit for a lot of things that have not been of the kingdom of God. And I know that when, when you hear something like that, that could be like a, a tensing up, I actually think one of the most freeing things we could ever have is just to realize we're not a Christian nation. It could be so freeing. We, we never, we're, was there, has there been Christian influence? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Were some of the founders Christians? Absolutely. Were, were some of the things that informed our Constitution uh, from a Christian mindset? Absolutely. Those, those are things that were good and, and produced a lot of good. Is the story, again, I've said this several times, is the story of America Jesus' story? And the answer is no. So if it's not the story of Jesus, then it's not the kingdom of God. And so it's a freeing thing to just release it. All right, we're not a Christian nation and never have been. That is okay. That's not a slight on anyone. But to understand that is be like, okay, now I can step back and see like, all right, well, what's been good and what hasn't been good? What has maybe enabled the, the, the word of God to be released in certain ways? And, and what hasn't? What has like, confused messaging and hurt the church? Um, and what has maybe helped the church? And so when you start getting into this, you start seeing like, man, if we could just take a step back, and this is what John is saying. He's like, you, you got to remove yourself and understand like what you're living in is not the kingdom of God and never will be. And that there's this distinctiveness and this edge that we have as followers of Jesus that allow us to live in these places. And you can go back to when it was Jerusalem. If you go back to when uh, they lived in different lands in exile, you can go back in the Assyrian Empire, the Egyptian Empire, whatever. But in, when, when the God's people are unable to live in these places, what they're always called to is to understand the difference between assimilating to the culture and just being flexible around it. And to understand the tension that lies in there, but, but man, you can't lose your distinctiveness. You can't lose your edge. You can't, because the second, the second you lose your edge, you just kind of blend in. And you fall into this different messaging that isn't the kingdom of God. That isn't the kingdom of God. And so, so John is like pointing, he's like, I understand where you live. So for us today, we read a letter like this. It's like understanding, it's like, all right, so God's like, I understand where you live. So if he understands where we live and we trust in the reality and the truth of the kingdom of God and that the gospel actually works, then we can stay grounded. We don't have to, uh, how many of you guys lost a friendship um, of any kind uh, over politics? It's okay, you can be honest. Like, I'm, I'm, it's, it's okay. Like, that doesn't have to happen when you stay grounded and understand the gospel works. It doesn't. Because we're, we're like, no, we, we understand where, we at, where we're at. We understand like where we're living. And we, and we understand like, man, my, my focus is to follow Jesus. And I understand this tension of being flexible with little things. But man, I'm just not going to assimilate to the ways of the kingdom or the ways of the city or the ways of the country or the ways of the empire. He continues on and he says this, yet you remain true to my name. So this is like a, this is like a huge encouragement right here. He's, Jesus, you remain true to my name. Like you, 
you, you still try to follow me in the midst of this uh, persecution, in the midst of like kind of all the junk you saw around you. And he says, you did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city, where who lives? Huh. So you can, you can see this. There are these strong followers of Jesus within this ecosystem that's happening around. And they were able to keep their distinctiveness. They were able to keep their edge. They were, they were able to kind of remain in a place where like, they were not sacrificing the reality and the truth of Jesus. And this guy named Antipas, scholars believe that um, he was one of the kind of the bishops of the church um, in Pergamum. And uh, what ended up happening was he was put to death and they believed um, it was through uh, torture, um, through the brazen bull method. All right. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, but um, this is basically um, uh, a rendering, obviously rendering, not a real picture. Um, but uh, what they would do is they would have this bronze bull and they would, they would make this bronze bull and then they would put a, a, a human in there. They would light it on fire underneath so that the, the metal would begin to heat up and become excruciatingly painful and torturous. And they would have these tubes that you see um, that would actually come out of the mouth of the bull and it would amplify the screams throughout. It was the most torturous way to die. And so that, that's what these Christians were, were, were involved in and, and, and seeing, and, and, and they were part of it. So they were like, man, even in the midst of seeing that stuff and how bad it got, you didn't renounce man. So sometimes when people say, uh, I'm going to share my faith now on Facebook because I don't know how long I'll be able to do it. And I'm like, okay, well, we don't have the brazen bull, okay? It's like, we're still fine. And so... Uh, might it get hard someday? I have no idea. I have no idea. Okay? But it's like, understand the persecution, the things people were going through that were so significant that they were like, would you go rather go on the bull or proclaim your, your, your faith in Jesus? Would you, would you renounce all that you are to, for, to get your leg up or have a little more power or, or, or get that job that you want? Would you, would you renounce uh, your ethics and your morality and your faith in Jesus just, just so you could kind of get ahead? Would, would you assimilate so you don't have to go to the bull? Would you, would you do any of those things? And so he's pushing in on some of these things of, of allowing us to understand, man, do, do I take this part seriously enough? Have I started to assimilate to the culture around me in some kind of way? He continues on in verse 14. He says this. Nevertheless, so in spite of all these things, let me encourage you. Like, you have not renounced my name. Like, nevertheless, though, Jesus says, I have a few things against you. There's some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam. I'm going to explain this in a second. Who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. And so what was transpiring here with these people, we don't know a lot about the Nicolaitans, but um, here's what we're seeing here. And this story that they're referencing with Balaam is, is from the book of Numbers, which is early on in the Bible. And so Balaam was this prophet, and um, he did have like a connection to God. And at one point in time, this king, Balak, uh, wanted him to, to curse the people of Israel, God's, God's people. And so uh, Balaam wanted to do this, but he understood that you, you couldn't curse something God had already blessed. 
And, and so God um, says, like, you, you can't do that. And so, so Balaam knew that. He couldn't curse something that God had already blessed. His, his people, he'd already identified his sons and his daughters as his people. And so Blum's trying to wonder, all right, then how do I kind of honor the king here while also like not cursing God's people? And so here's what Blum starts to do. He starts to figure out these ways to kind of um, convince God's people that what they were doing wasn't that big of a deal. Just be flexible. Just be flexible. It's, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. And so he started having them make all these decisions. And it's like, ah, oh, it's not, like you could just kind of just move the line just a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. And so little by little, that not that big of a deal became a really big deal and started marrying people that they shouldn't be marrying, going outside of God's commands in so many different ways. And one of the ways that they did this was actually uh, through food. Now, in the New Testament, food is a little more flexible, um, and some people think about it differently than others. Uh, but one of the things that was very prevalent back then, and also even when John is writing Revelation, was they would have these meals, and the, and the food was a big part of the meal. And some of the, sometimes the meat that was there for uh, those meals was fine for people to eat. Um, if it was sacrificed to the gods for favor of the gods, then those that were God's people would be like, no, we can't, we can't have any part of this food. And so, or any part of this meat. And so what ended up happening in the Roman Empire in, in the story of, of Balak and Balaam as well is they would have these, these, these centering meals that were uh, with a lot of powerful and influential people and, um, or if people wanted a blessing from the gods and they would be like, they would offer these, this meat up to them and food up to them and they'd have these big meals. And if you participated in these meals then you had access to different things. If you didn't participate in the meals, you were limiting your access. You were limiting your ability to uh, uh, grow economically. You were willing your ability to, to actually network or anything. So when you, when you fast forward all the way to Revelation, when John's writing this, these people in Pergamum at one point had refused to participate in these meals, but little by little, they, they were flexible in the beginning. They're like, oh, we understand. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But then all of a sudden, they're like, you know, it's not that big a deal, so I can participate as well. And so they would start participating in these meals, these big political meals, these big things that were like, we're going up to Zeus or whatever God that they were praying to uh, at that point in time. And so these Christians would be in on these meals. Because if they didn't, then they couldn't have the job that they wanted. They wouldn't have the money that they wanted. They wouldn't be able to network like they thought they wanted to. In the entire Bible, whenever you see people... Um, giving up on the meals part and kind of like uh, assimilating on the meals part, what soon follows is sexual immorality. It's this weird, <laughs> it's this weird thing that happens throughout the entire Bible. Um, but these two things are just like connected in together. And uh, we start seeing that like, oh, then, then how we think about sex just doesn't matter. It's kind of like, if, 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 just do whatever you want. Like, whatever just feels right to you. Just, just do whatever you want. And that's what started happening in, in people. And then and they started taking further and further and further steps away from the reality and the truth of what they said that they believed. They moved from being flexible to uh, assimilating totally to the culture uh, around them. And you might be thinking, like, are you saying, like, it's a slippery slope? And I would say, yes. That is what I'm saying. Is a slippery slope argument a good initial argument? It is not. Because you can't just always say something is always a slippery slope. But here's what I do know. Every slope can get slippery. <laughs> and uh, it can be fine all of a sudden, like, and then all of a sudden you're like, like, and you're gone. And, and so 
we have to understand that I don't care like what side you fall on, your side has a slippery side on an issue. It just does. And so, again, it's the tension between being flexible and assimilating to what is going on uh, around us. And so we end up getting to this point where John is like, you've, you've lost it. You've lost your edge. You've lost your distinctiveness. People of Pergamum, like you, you used to, man, with Antipas, like, man, you were in such a good spot. And, and now, like, look, at, look what's happening sexually. Look what's happening with just how you're interacting with people of power and, and greed and, and all this stuff. It's like, look what has happened. You've, you've, you've slipped down the slope. Like, you, you've kind of taken this action. And now there's no way to even tell the difference between who's a Christian and who isn't. The way that you think, the way that you talk, the way that you act, it's, it's all like blended in together. It's all assimilated uh, in together. And you pause for a second because you realize this story about Balaam and, and, Black, and, and Balak and you're, and you're like, man, Balaam couldn't curse the people of God because God had already blessed them. And I just want you to think about that part for a second. If we have the blessing of God on our lives, we do not need to assimilate to the culture around us. We don't. If we have the blessing as a, a son or a daughter from God, it's like, why in the world would we ever assimilate to the culture around us? Like, there's nothing more powerful than that reality of our identity. Here's the, the main issue with that, though. You can't negate the blessing God has put on your life, but you can restrict its influence. You can, you can begin to live an assimilated life that will restrict the influence of the blessing that has been put on your life. The way the Spirit of God can move in your life. You can start living in such a way um, like lack of disciplines. And, and that's why we talk so much about spiritual disciplines and stuff like that. It's like, man, the, these disciplines that we're putting into place um, are not to stop you from doing something. It's to free you up and to engage the things that you should. The life that should, you, the life God has for you. It's like, but man, we can start making choices that begin to limit the impact the Spirit of God has in our life. If I were to guess, I would say we have all done that in some capacity in our lives. And we can come in and out of that a little bit. What is that? It's the slippery slope that begins to happen in us. We start being like, ah, oh, I was flexible on this for a season, but... You know, then you start assimilating to a culture, assimilating to a way of thinking, assimilating to things rather than understanding what is supposed to be uh, before us. Well, where, how do you get people to assimilate? Here are the main ways. Corrupted view of sexuality. This is what we see throughout Scripture. A corrupted view of sexuality. Convince people greed is good. Become enamored with power. You make light of consequences. You know, it's not that big deal for me. That won't hurt me that bad. I've done it before. That's okay. I remember when I uh, first stopped drinking um, at one point, and I, uh, I was probably teetering on um, a drinking problem at one point in my life. And when I, when I had this moment of getting my life right with, with Jesus, uh, my, my initial phase was like I couldn't hang out with any of my friends when the sun went down. So in the winter, I was like, cool, 4.30, I'll see you guys later. And, uh, but that was like my first, like, kind of, like, that's the discipline I'm going to put in place, like, and I was right. And uh, then I started getting feel like I was in a good spot. I was like, I could go out with them. And then it was like, 
I can have a couple of beers with them. Who cares, right? One shot, what's the big deal? And then the, the second time I did that, I got absolutely hammered and got back home. I was like, well, can't do that. What I thought I could be flexible on was immediately making me assimilate into something. And I couldn't do it. And I thought I was like above and beyond all of it. And then I quickly realized, all right, I needed some other disciplines in my, in my life that would then allow me to free me up to do engage the things that I should be engaging. And so that's what started to happen. And so it's the same thing for us. And so you start seeing some of these things. It's like a corrupted view of sexuality. Like just take a look around at our culture, right? In the 80s and 90s, you think about the purity culture. Um, how many of you guys grew up in that in church? Like kind of remember that phrasing. All right, so um, purity culture. What, were there parts of it that were good? Yeah, I mean, there were some things that were good to focus on, right? Were there parts of it that were incredibly traumatic and abusive? Yes. Did it hurt people? Yes. And that was like the way more conservative view around sexuality. Well, what was the problem? It was because it wasn't a full picture of sexuality. It wasn't a full picture of the fullness of what God has to us and created all these different categories and hurt women in particular the most. And, uh, and, and by the way, anytime there's a corrupted view of sexuality, children and women always get hurt the most. And so uh, we start seeing like that, that's what happened in the purity culture that many of us grew up in. And uh, have all these promises of you just get married, then everything gets figured out, and you realize, oh, that's not actually what ends up happening. And then uh, you idolize marriage and, and made marriage above singleness, which the Bible doesn't do. And it created this weird culture, right? That was a more conservative side. Now you kind of fast forward, and you kind of you look at the more progressive side right now. Uh, does the progressive side of sexuality work? It does not. It's a dumpster fire. And the line keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. That doesn't work either. And so you start seeing that like, all right, if we can just corrupt this view and you start seeing what happens around it. Women get hurt, kids get hurt, everyone gets confused. And it doesn't lead you to the kingdom of God. It doesn't lead you to anything Christ-centered in the conversation. And so it's like, what does it look like to be flexible then on a conversation on sexuality? Well, it starts with, with believers that it has to be to be flexible. It has to start with being Jesus-centered. And then to be flexible is to say, like, I'm not going to make blanket statements about people. I want to know their story in particular. Because, man, when you hear someone's story, sometimes you start seeing, oh, I understand why you're at where you're at right now. I can't imagine that. And it, and it increases your grace. It increases, like, how you begin to interact with, with people around you. Um, you start creating cultures where, um, like, stop saying things all the time. Like, once you get married, you'll figure yourself out. Or uh, you'll be, f like, listen, when you meet someone, like, if you're single in this room, like, I'm on your side, okay? Um, but when someone says to you, like, when you meet someone, like, th that's when, like, life, like, when you experience life when you're married. And I'm like, man, I've been in counseling with a lot of couples. That is not true for them, first of all. Second of all, the Bible, the very thing you say you believe in as a follower of Jesus, does not elevate marriage over singleness. Matter of fact, Paul at one point says, I wish everyone could be single. And so you start seeing like, hey, we got to have a better kind of understanding instead of assimilating to a kind of culture that could hurt people. Greed and power. You see like the, this, this uh, when politics and uh, Christianity gets mixed. Does that ever work out well? Never. Imagine how hard it is to be a Christian in politics right now. Seriously. Like a faithful, like... To the people that do it, we should be applauding them like crazy. 
the pressure that they feel to stand strong in their faith and that tension of flexible versus assimilating, wow. For someone to do it, it's, it's pretty incredible that they can pull it off. And it's why that me- not many can. They assimilate, right? Um, why is it in the Bible we don't see a ton of people in politics? It's really hard. You, you got to be like a Daniel or Joseph, basically. It, it's really hard. It's really hard to, to stick to it. Why? Because um, though governments can do really good things, they can, and America's done like a bunch of really good stuff. Um, it can do really good things, but it can also be a conduit for the things of Satan. And so it's really hard. It's really difficult. But man, when those things get like messed up and you have greed and politics and power and all this stuff, like it's, it's so easy to get people to assimilate. There were people, um, I won't even mention her name, um, but there is someone who I know who is a politician right now that is so far from the reality of Jesus. But I know where she went to church a long time ago, and she started off as this thing called a starting point facilitator, which is helping all young people exploring their faith in Jesus. And she was apparently amazing at it and had this deep, deep well of faith. And then she got involved in politics and is so far from it. It can happen to, to anybody. And so we start seeing, man, once this starts mixing in together, it, it doesn't uh, work. Um, when you think about even like how uh, we assimilate to, to ways of, uh, with our money in our culture and with marketing and everything else, right? Like people fight over capitalism, socialism all the time, right? It's like, is capitalism in the Bible? No. Are there forms of capitalism in the Bible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is socialism in the Bible? No. Are there some forms that might be pulled from it? Sure. Have, have they done good, both of them? Sure. Have they done bad? Sure. Right, right. But when you kind of take a step back, it's like, man, how do we like not assimilate to the ways of the culture? You start seeing like, oh, actually the way that Jesus taught how to handle our finances, the ways that are in biblically, we can actually go against whatever system's in play. We're not bound to it. I mean, think about this. Let me give you a practical, just, this is just math. So in our in our uh, community here, uh, we have about 1,300 households uh, in our community, um, which they, they tell you that a- the average is like 2.8 people. I don't know. Um, that, that would call Hill City home, right? Within that, it's probably roughly 1,800 adults. At 1,800 adults, and the median salary of our area in kind of our influence in, in a church is about $60,000 in Richmond. 60,000 times 1,800 adults, all right? If everyone just gave 10%, which is kind of a biblical standard of a tithe, um, our budget here as a church would be $10.8 million. Currently, it's 2.3, 2.4. Do you think, do you think, with an extra $8.4 million, we could do some stuff in Richmond? I, that's just math. Like, that's, you know what I mean? It's just like a way to like think about, oh, no, no, we, we actually, and, and listen, multiply that. There, there, there aren't a lot of churches in Richmond our size, but there are certainly a handful. Like, so let's just say there's 10. Like, so imagine 10 churches that would have an extra eight plus million dollars a piece, closing in 80 to 100 million dollars. Do you think if we all got together, like, let's do something in Richmond together, do you think it would make a huge difference? Yes. Right? Like, so again, not assimilating into the culture, but going after how God designed things to be. Let me talk about what flexibility is. I'm going to close with this here in a minute. Flexibility is kingdom first. Assimilation is empire first. 
Those are two very different things. And so as we go through our opinions and our thoughts, like, am I, am I going empire here first or am I going kingdom of God first? Flexibility is Jesus-centered. Assimilation is self-centered. It's self-centered. This is what I'm talking about. Like, whether it's money or sexuality or whatever, it's like, man, is it politics? Whatever it is. It's, is it Jesus-centered or is it self-centered? Flexibility builds grace, discipline, and wisdom. Assimilation builds judgment, chaos, and foolishness. Again, just breathe for a second and take a look at the world around you. The last one is this. Flexibility keeps us on a journey. Assimilation makes us think that we've already arrived, that we've already arrived. I understand that, you know, we can tense up with things around this, but... What John is going to do, he's going to do this again next week, all right? So he's like really pushing into your distinctiveness, your edge, your understanding that like, yeah, yeah, we can be like, understand the tension between being flexible and like someone's story, we're on this journey together. Like I get all that, but man, be careful. Do not assimilate to the world around you. Don't do it. Sometimes it might even sound good on the front end. Don't do it. If it's not leading you to the reality and the truth of Jesus, you are assimilating into something else that will be eventually become destructive. Don't do it. And so John ends with this. He says, repent. And this is our call. Laura, you can come up. Repent. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. This is just Jesus being like, Man, if you don't repent, my word is going to do some stuff. I'm coming. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And all that saying is there pointing back to this old story in Exodus and it's saying this. Do you not think God would provide? If you really, I mean, you just committed to the, to, you're like, I can be flexible with someone's journey and story, but I'm not going to assimilate to the culture around me. Like, and you might on the front end be like, yeah, but I won't be able to do this and I won't be able to do this. And, I won't be, and it's like, do you not believe God would provide? That is like, what is that play in front of us? Do we, do we really believe not by might, like, but by the spirit of the living God? Do, do we really believe that? Not my fight, not my battle, but the spirit. Well, to, to sing that and believe that is to say, like, I believe God will provide. To, to the living hope, right? No one, the first song we sang, to believe any of those things we sang is to believe God will provide. Even when it's hard even when it doesn't make sense, even when maybe you felt like, man, I've been going down this road a lot, but I really believe God will provide. I'm feeling, feeling empty. I've been feeling torn. I've been feeling like depressed or anxious. Do you, do you believe God will provide? And living our lives oriented in this way. And so I want us to just pause here. I want to close in prayer. <clears throat> but I want to put these two questions before you. And let these just sit here for a second. Where are you claiming Jesus but shaped by the world? 
And do the right people and disciplines have access to your life? Maybe the right voices. Those voices that won't let you assimilate, keep you grounded, challenge and push one another in. So I ask you guys to bow your heads for a minute. And just sit with what God might be speaking to your heart right now. God, every single person in this room uh, can be deeply impacted by the culture around them. I certainly have and can and will be in the future in different ways. It's always a tension and a fight that goes on. But God, I pray that we will want to be followers that are willing to step forward and be like, I'm not going to assimilate to this. I'd, I don't, I don't, I want to be so focused on who Jesus is in this culture, so focused when these controversial topics come up. It's like, how does this point to Jesus? How does this point to Jesus? How does this point to Jesus? I don't, I don't want to just assimilate into the ways of the culture around me. God, I pray for anyone sitting here who, uh, maybe things have just gotten a little loose and, I've never really thought about it and now realizing that they've been assimilating for quite some time or maybe they've made some really poor choices and uh, they know it and they don't want to be that person. God, that um, you see them and love them and care for them and give them all the grace that they need to understand how much that they are loved how much you desire for their life to be free and full, to experience the depth of humanity that only can come from you. And God, all of this is, we believe is true because you died and rose again, that living hope that we sang about. So God, I pray that we would be a community that uh, doesn't just hold on to the name of Jesus, but really, really, with all that we've got, wants to live it out so that we don't assimilate to the world around us. We give all this in your name. We pray, everyone said, amen. Before you all get out of here, um, if you're new, we'd love to meet you on your way out. Um, and there's folks that will answer any questions that you have. Um, if you want prayer, um, there'll be people on either side of the stage at, uh, uh, willing to pray uh, with you. And as always, you guys, thank you so much for your generosity. Make a difference in this community. I um, love you all so much. Have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see you next week.